0: Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, listeners. Welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey Cast. I, of course, am DJ Gagnon, your chef in residence, and I'm here with my reluctant sous chef, Mark Rossetti.
1: What about at night? Can people not listen at night?
0: They can. I said good evening.
1: You said evening, you didn't say night.
0: Okay, well, don't listen to us while you're going to sleep. You might have weird dreams.
1: Oh God, no! Don't listen to it. No, that's terrible.
0: <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that we are of course <laughs> here for one of my favorite topics, but we'll talk about that later. I'm Mark, legit
1: w- scared now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, don't don't listen to us in, at night, folks. Those we don't want to know about those dreams. But in the meantime, what you have to in the last week, buddy?
1: Oh, it's been an eventful week. Uh, You know, Romulus, the little bastard, my cat, he had a hell of an eye infection. Uh, But he seems to be cured of that now, uh, thankfully. So, you know, drops, cream, cream, drops. He was not a fan of any of it. Uh, I I think he's just as happy as I am that we're not doing any of that anymore. So that's good. I uh, was just down the, uh, the parents' house before we were recording this, checking on the progress of uh, the new garage, the new shop. It's coming along very nicely because, you know, today I was feeling my oats. I decided to go full 80s today because I don't know what the weather was like up in the Shire. But here in Pennsylvania it actually hit about 76 today. It has you know, rained off and on for about the last two weeks, and for the next three days it's going to rain again. But today we got this just bright, beautiful, sunny day in the mid-'70s. So I took out the IROC, I took the roof, roof off of it, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go full Miami Vice. So I put on a sport coat with a black T-shirt on underneath, you know, nice pair of G- or dress pants with loafers, And I just went full fucking 80s and was just riding around. It was a good day today. It's just going to be so sad when, you know, in about two hours as we're recording this, when it just starts to downpour and it's not going to stop till about midday Saturday. So, (laughs) Uh, but, you know, hey, it is what it is. Uh, But I was I was enjoying myself and uh, I'm enjoying my uh, drink this week much better than last week, which we'll get to when we do the reviews. Uh, But what about you? How, How was your week?
0: Uh, it's it's been pretty good. Uh, lots of work on the nursery lately. Um, finally got all of the major furniture in. Built a bassinet over the weekend. Uh, actually, like put a sheet on the crib mattress, which seems crazy because we're we're at week twenty and not you know thirty eight. Um, but but soon. that's been fun. Yeah. Very soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're halfway through this week. Uh, we got our big uh, as we're recording our big. 20-week ultrasound is the following morning. So uh, we'll see how that goes uh, tomorrow. Um, Yeah, it's just been a ton of work in the house lately. Uh, I moved over to working more on the office this weekend. So uh, I got the rest of the drywall done uh, with all the mudding and whatnot. And I'm, I'm definitely at the point where I no longer care and just want to paint uh it's like it, it's good enough there's a couple of small spots that i might just get some patch uh, um and, and kind of fix some stuff here and there uh but at the end of the day like i am not i'm not going to be whipping up any more drywall mud i am i am done so uh i primed half the office this weekend um and i'm hiring a flooring guy to come in in mid june to put the floor in uh basically I got a, I got a deadline. Uh, so you know how I am with, with house projects. I'm, I'm going to have a hard deadline soon to get it all painted before, um, the foreign guy comes in and, and installs stuff. So and that's kind of where I'm at.
1: Yeah. You know, it must be the day for floors. Cause I was actually looking at epoxy kits, uh, for garage floors. I, I think I'm going to spend the, the two, 300 bucks and do the kit. And I think I'm going to do it myself once they put the shop up, uh, The hard part with that is going to be keeping the old man out, because everything I've read says that, you know, you put it down and there's there's two coats of like the epoxy you put down. Then you have to throw the chips. And then if you want to clear it, you clear it afterwards. And in about eh, 20 to 24 hours, you could walk on it. But they say you can't park any cars on it for 96 hours. (laughs) So, keeping the old man out of the garage will be the big, the big problem there. But it, it must be flooring season. I don't know. What's it with May? It must be, must be time to build and make floors, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just going to be glad to have all this shit done, and then I can just work on baby-proofing. It's all I, all, all I really want to be working on is, like, tacking furniture to the wall and covering outlets and maybe putting chemicals higher than they, should, they are right now. Yeah, you can never go high enough. We found that out with a cat. Well, luckily, uh, tiny humans probably won't be jumping on top of the refrigerator.
1: I mean, now, no, but come like this time next year, <laughs> <laughs> they can climb pretty fucking quick. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, cats can. I don't know about humans, Mark. No,
1: I, I, I have, you know, I don't have any kids. And if there's just and loving God, I never will. But I have nieces. I have nephews. I have younger cousins. Uh, eight, 10, 12, 14 months when they start crawling, they don't just crawl horizontally. They can crawl vertically, too.
0: <laughs> I guess that's fair. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to need to cordon off a section of the basement and just have all the chemicals there. But it's fine. We're going to get there. What are you you drinking? Well, this was a series of happy
1: accidents. (laughs) Uh, I am drinking Russell's Reserve 10-year-old bourbon. (laughs) Or officially, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. (laughs) And uh, I did what I always do. I went to the liquor store and I found a bottle of that caught my eye, and this caught my eye for two reasons. One, the 10-year verified age statement. You know, that's a big thing. But two, just to name Russells, you know, you and I are both fans of the highly underrated video game, Bully. And, you know, the first boss is named Russell, Russell Smash. And so I sat in the uh, bourbon aisle of the liquor store laughing at my own joke that no one else understood, and they're like, sir, are you homeless? Do you need help? (laughs) And I'm like, no, I'm just Russell Smash. never mind. So I took the bottle home and I put it on the shelf and I didn't think anything of it. And uh, poured myself a glass a little while ago as I was uh, getting ready for this podcast and I do what I always do. I, I look up the information about, you know, said things, the, the MASH bill and this and that. And this checks two boxes uh, that I didn't even realize we were checking. You know, last week we were talking about Redemption and their high rye bourbon and how it sucks because it tries to be two different things and it fails at both of them. Well, this, the mash bill for this is 75% corn, 13% rye and 12% malted barley. So it's playing around with the ratios. And even though not by any stretch of the imagination, but you say that this is a high rye bourbon, it nails the balance. Nice. It absolutely fucking nails it. You have a nice light amber color, You um, get some of the more sweet, bourbon-y taste. You get the molasses. You get a little bit of the sugar on the beginning. And then at the end, at the finish, that's when the rye bite comes in. And uh, it's 90 proof, which is pretty much, you know, the bottom end for a decent bourbon. But because of that, it doesn't just have the fire. It doesn't have, you know, all the pain. You actually could taste Uh, you know, some of the notes of the oak and of the molasses and then the rye. So it's much, much better balanced and being aged for 10 years does help that. It does have a 10 year age statement, but then I had to laugh because, and I honest to God did not know this until
0: about an hour ago. Guess who makes it? Who? Let me guess. Wait, Buffalo trace. Wild Turkey. Of course.
1: And I was like, well, I guess I'm naturally inclined to like this. Um, Interestingly enough, from uh, according to Wild Turkey, they're doing this to compete with the Eagle Rare Ten Year. The difference is you can actually get this, <laughs> as opposed to the Eagle Rare Ten Year. Um, it's also only about forty dollars, where I think uh, Eagle Rare is about like double that. I think it's well, it might only be sixty, but it's it's more than that uh so yeah you know look it up it, it's just a plain white and red label it just says russell's reserve and has a big 10-year sticker on the bottom if you like bourbon or even if you're like me and you prefer rye it's really really good and at 40 dollars a bottle this may become my new daily the, the the wild turkey 101 rye might go away for a little while
0: <laughs> Hey, I mean, if you've got some mint and some lemon on hand, you could make a Russell smash.
1: You could make a Russell smash. Um, and that, yeah, that that's both funny and that actually sounds good. <laughs> 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 um, but, I mean, this... We were talking last week about the uh, redemption punching above its weight when it came to its proof, how, how it burned far more than it should for its proof. This punches above its weight for its price. I mean where can you get a smooth 10-year any type of liquor, whether it be bourbon, you know, Irish, Scotch, whatever. Where can you get a smooth 10-year whiskey for under 50 bucks? Uh, it's it's really good. So before they screw it up and jack the price up or everybody buys it, go out and get a bottle of this.
0: Nice.
1: What about you? What are you drinking?
0: Uh, well, I uh, we've got a tale from the well today, buddy. Oh, no! <laughs> uh, so I saw it on the shelf, and I had to buy it, because I had to know, so I am reviewing Jameson Orange today. Okay. Now, generally, I have a very hard time believing people when they say, oh yeah, this liquor, it tastes like candy, because I always taste the alcohol. This is legitimately the first time since Bird Dog that I can honestly say fuck this tastes like candy, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes like I mean, it there's like a backbone of Jameson, but it is very orange. Like I'm I'm not even sure how they're passing this off as a whiskey it infused with orange and not just saying hey, this is an orange liqueur that we used Jameson to make.
1: Basically, you're in Yukon Jack territory now.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so it's... I I mean, it's way better than Bird Dog, though. Um, I can definitely see uh, mixing this with, like, a lemonade or a ginger ale making like a whiskey smash out of it but using orange instead uh that there's a lot of uses for this and it's it's decent for what it is um i think if i had paid top dollar for for this i would be pissed um but it's it, it's a flavored offering from jameson jameson's fairly tried and true uh unless you're mark um <laughs> and uh i i i got to say i don't love drinking it on its own like i generally do love orange flavored things but it is it is whiskey flavored orange not orange flavored whiskey well
1: that's fair and i i think you saying it's good for what it is is damning with faint praise but mm-hmm. um you know they're they're there's a lid for every pot, as my mama likes to say. Uh, there, there is a section of the market that is, that is for everyone. And uh, I wonder, you know, orange juice is seeing sort of a comeback. I don't know if you've seen in the news that they're making a cereal now to be done, to be poured with orange juice. I did, and I'm like really fucking curious, Mark. <laughs> I had to laugh I had the one old guy at Conrad's all fired up Because he said When they were in Vietnam They couldn't get milk And I don't know True, false, indifferent Whatever That's what he said So he said He's been eating his cereal With orange juice Since fucking Vietnam And honey nut Cheerios And orange juice Honey nut Cheerios And orange juice Boom, boom, boom I've been hearing this For the last four or five years That I've been bartending And then I see this So I had them all fired up On Saturday I said You better get some Fucking royalties Out of this (laughs) Son of a bitch They took my idea Blah, blah, blah But whatever Point is orange juice is making a comeback. I wonder now it's you know it's it's whiskey it's not vodka but I wonder how a screwdriver with that would taste.
0: I mean, pretty fucking good, man. I mean, just fucking pour some orange juice in this. is gonna be great. Uh, I mean i i wouldn't I wouldn't make like a white Russian with this though. No, no, probably nothing, not. Nothing dairy should touch this. Fuck, man, yeah. I am obsessed with this Tropicana Crunch now. <laughs> All right, sorry, I got to stop looking at this website. That, that looks so good, though. I would try that so, oh, my God. But anywho, uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. Jameson Orange, I'm glad I bought a nip of it. I'm glad I didn't commit to the whole bottle.
1: Yeah, that, that makes it much more palatable. I mean, even I could get through a nip of something.
0: I, I will say one of the things I, I'm actually kinda surprised. Like I know I, I know your thoughts on Irishes and and Jameson in general, but like I'm used to like Jameson Black Barrel. It's go-to, it's pretty damn tasty. Jameson by itself, even though depending on who you talk to, might be considered well, it's it's tried and true. It's there. Like everybody has tried Jameson. Um, and I've I've reviewed I've reviewed Black Barrel and I've reviewed uh, Cold Brew and both of them are solid entries. They're solid whiskeys like even Cold Brew. It wasn't like a coffee liqueur. It was a whiskey with a backbone of coffee. This is just. I mean, it's vaguely whiskey flavored orange something. So it's it's very it's a definitely a departure for Jameson.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, but, hey, if we can continue with, you know, some of the sport references, we were talking about soccer before. Uh, Baseball, even Mickey Mantle struck out a few times. Yeah. You know, they're not all going to be home runs. Although I do think it's interesting, contrary to what you say, I don't hate Jameson. Uh, but that is probably your favorite distillery, right? If I had to, like, if, you, if I had a gun to your head and I had to say, pick one, that probably would be your favorite?
0: It's my favorite big name distillery. I think probably Breckenridge would be my favorite.
1: All right, that's fair.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, they're they're definitely your wild turkey. Yeah, Jameson's definitely my wild turkey. Yeah, so if, if
1: DJ's saying it's a little, eh, it, it probably is a little, eh. He's probably being diplomatic because that is his brand.
0: Yeah, I I highly recommend next time, listener, you are in the liquor store, it's going to be in the nip section. That like They had so many nips of this. Uh, I think Jameson did a huge launch for Orange. So grab yourself a nip, uh, take, a, take a sip of it, and then mix it with your favorite mixer and see what you think. I think uh, I'm going to probably save some off my glass and head downstairs and mix it with some ginger ale and see how I feel so i i mean it's it's probably pretty solid. it might go really well with that orange coke that's floating around
1: yeah i it actually probably would
0: yeah yeah i mean i'm i won't I won't knock that out of bed that's fantastic so okay. whiskey news
1: well we're 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 gonna fucking have a segue and a half that's going to whiplash. You know, I was talking about what a great value this Russell's is. You were tasting the well. Now let's talk about something completely fucking different.
0: <laughs> the Larch.
1: Yeah. How about uh, Middleton Distillery? Middleton with one D. M-I-D-L-E-T-O-N. They have just released, and it's an incredibly long name. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Chapter three of the Middleton Very Rare Silent Distillery Collection.
0: That's ridiculous.
1: That is the title of this. Uh, It's a bourbon. Uh, I'm not going to tell you its age statement. Instead, I'm going to tell you the year that it was casked, because I think this has a bigger impact. Uh, Do you want to guess when they put this in the casks?
0: I mean... 25 years ago?
1: 1973.
0: Jesus fuck.
1: (laughs) So, 49 years. I don't know why they didn't wait one more year, but 49 years. Uh, There is a grand total of 97 bottles of this. And the price is a cool, crisp, 45,000 euros a bottle which for those of you playing the home game, I ran through the uh, uh, exchange rate conversion gimmick. It's $47,322 per bottle. Now, according to Middleton, uh, it is very powerful. It's 55% ABV. It is incredibly rich with complex flavors, including dark fruits, I don't know what makes them evil, but okay. Tobacco, leather, toasted hazelnuts, and various subtle spices. And they claim, and I don't doubt it being aged for 49 years at 55% alcohol, they claim that the finish will last for literal minutes.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> uh they are only making 97 bottles so if you've got a spare 50 grand because that's not including the 47,322 is not including taxes it's not including uh shipping because this is all in europe of course uh etc 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 uh so if you've got a spare 50 grand burning a hole in your pocket you could either build a garage like i am (laughs) or you could buy a bottle of whiskey (laughs) (laughs)
0: Jesus, you can build a garage or buy a single (laughs) bottle of whiskey.
1: I I was looking at this news article earlier today with the old man, and I'm like, yeah, it's like I was doing the exchange right there. And I said, oh, it's like forty seven thousand three hundred. He goes, well, for forty eight thousand and change, we have the garage. And I went, oh, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, just to put that in perspective.
0: All right, what about tools of the trade? Uh, Well, uh, as I sort through my tabs here, all obsessing over the Tropicana Crunch, um, I decided I wanted to talk a little bit today about flavor infusions, uh, which I feel like folds very nicely into our awesome topic today. Um, But we've talked a lot about making liqueurs. We've talked about making bitters. We've talked about infusing flavors into things. We've talked about fat washing once. And we haven't really talked about the process of infusing flavors. No, we have not. So I read some really interesting articles. There's some really interesting like molecular gastronomy shit out there for infusing. Uh, And basically what it comes down to is there are four main methods of infusing. And each one gets more wild as we go. So buckle up. The first one is your standard cold infusion that uses time, right? So that's how, you know, I tend to make my liqueurs. It's two to three weeks, giant glass jar with a top, uh, you know, some sort of high-proof liquor with uh, some sort of flavor things. Usually I do, like, dessert liqueurs. So I'll make, like, an apple pie that has apple and cinnamon and cloves, and, uh, you know, maybe I'll make a brown sugar syrup for it. Uh, so that's the first method, and you can do just about anything, from Skittles vodka all the way up to some fancy-ass, you know, uh, infusing botanicals into a vodka to make, you know, your own, like, gin blend. Um, you know, some interesting shit there. Uh. But that's the easy one, right? You buy a glass, uh, a giant gallon glass jug. You put a bunch of shit in it. You wait some time. You add some sugar. You've got a liqueur, and you can you you can do pretty much any sort of infusion that you want here, right? Uh, you can you can fat wash with this method. You can infuse fruits. You can infuse botanicals. Um, the risk was something this. Uh, there's no real control here, right? You're throwing shit in a jar and hoping it comes out good. And I have had a ton of failed experiments with this. I have tried different things that, that came out tasting pretty nasty. I, uh, you know, put too much of one ingredient and it came out bitter. I've, uh, I had an issue where I put too high of a proof of rum and it didn't get any flavor whatsoever for some reason. um, so, you know, if you get a tried and true recipe, you know what you're doing, you've, you've tried it out a few times, go for it. You know, it, it's, it costs nothing but time, basically. Uh, but let's say you're in more of like a bar setting, uh, or you didn't adequately plan and you've got a dinner party tomorrow and you need to infuse some shit. Uh, so our second form, we've talked a little bit about this on the show, is sous vide, right? Uh, it, it's it's heat. It's the application of slow, steady heat. Uh, and I I found that there the rules around heat infusions are really interesting. Uh, with a heat infusion, you generally do not want to use uh, fresh herbs um, because they very quickly cook, and you get you get that kind of like over steeped tea taste. You know you've You've left your tea bag in too long, it gets bitter, it gets grassy, it gets bleh, You don't want to eat that shit. So, dried herbs could work really well, fruit can work, fat can work. Uh, but there's a special rule with temperature that you have to be really careful about, and you do not want to go any higher than 77.5 degrees Celsius or 171.5 degrees of freedom units. Uh, and the reason is that it's one degree Celsius below the boiling point of alcohol. So if you went to 78 and a half degrees Celsius, you no longer have a nice, delicate infusion going. You've just made a bomb. So uh, maybe be careful. Maybe you don't want that bag to explode, spraying shit all over your kitchen. Um, you know, it's probably not going to be. Horribly damaging, but you're going to be scrubbing your walls for a while. Um, generally, the recommendation here is uh, a, an immersion circulator, also known as sous vide, uh, and you can get these for approximately two hundred dollars. We're going to get a little bonkers here, here, folks. There's some price tags. Um,
1: I mean, we were just talking about a forty-seven thousand dollar bottle of whiskey out. I think two hundred bucks. You know, at this point, we, we were past sticker shock. It, it's so. true.
0: Um, But the nice thing about sous vide, and we're going to talk about sous vide later on in the show, uh, you can use it for other things. It's not just for alcohol infusions. The third method is a positive pressure vessel. Uh, Now, generally, you're going to do this in a small batch. Uh, If you're doing this in your kitchen, uh, a good vessel for this, and I believe we've talked about this, is an ISI whipped cream vessel uh, canister. And, uh, the, the canister itself is maybe a hundred bucks. You can get a box of the, uh, the nitrous oxide cartridges for about 20 bucks. And then, you know, you can infuse liquor with it, but you can also make whipped cream. So, uh, it's a multitasker. Uh, The cool thing about this is that you can, and I think very early on, Mark, I tried to use this to uh, carbonate fruit, which was a very interesting experiment. You did,
1: and uh, that was a fun two weeks, both during your process and then
0: during your taste testing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it it was a good time. Ultimately, you're going to want to be careful here depending on how much you put into the vessel, how much liquid you put into the vessel. uh, You may end up carbonating it. You may end up not getting the right pressure that you want. So it's going to take some more experimentation. Um, But you can get a pretty quick uh, infusion this way. You charge the canister with uh, a single cartridge, Uh, You shake it up, and then you charge it with a second one to get the pressure even higher, and you're really kind of smashing things together. And uh, the really interesting part about this method is the infusion of the added pressure is just as important as the release of pressure afterward. You're you're pushing everything together, and then when you release the pressure, the flavors kind of meld back out into the liquid, and you can strain it out, and you get a nice infusion. Uh, these are general, generally pretty quick. Uh, you know, the, the cold method in uh, the large uh, you know, glass jar, that can take weeks. The sous vide can take like an hour or so. These pressure things are usually like, you know, max maybe half an hour. Uh, and the really nice reason to be using uh, this kind of method is fresh, fresh, fresh. Uh, there's no temperature change or the temperature change is minimal, uh, and you can ice the thing if you want to keep the temperature uh, low. Um, but you can get really, really fresh notes out of herbs and stuff. Uh, so you can you can throw in. Let's say you were gonna try to like pre-infuse your whiskey with orange and mint, and that way all you had to do was uh, add some sugar to it and have kind of like a bespoke whiskey smash. Uh, you know, that was uh, a little less rustic than you might get if you made it in a shaker. Uh, you can throw the whiskey, the orange peels in there, and the freshest mint you can find, and you've got the high notes of the mint. It's not going to get bitter. Uh, it's going to be refreshing and, and, and really lovely orange taste as well. The last one is the most bonkers, uh, and that is negative pressure. Uh, So a vacuum machine, a vacuum chamber, is going to cost you anywhere between $2,500 and $3,000. But, you know, like this article says, once you buy the vacuum machine, you won't have to buy one again, likely. You've already invested. Um, This one's a little bit bonkers. Uh, They say that... um, there's just a lot here. Uh, you know, there's, there's hazard things that you need to worry about with negative pressure. Um, but it's the same thing as a positive pressure vessel, but in reverse, and you can get some in, uh, different flavor profiles out of it. Honestly, this one seems a little too bonkers for me. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll do the positive pressure. I'll do the heat method. I'll do the, the throat and a jar in your basement for a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I can't I can't really justify uh, th- a negative pressure vessel. Um, but this article uh, that I'm reading from uh, the website 750.com, uh, <laughs> I guess somebody infused apple slices with curry oil.
1: <laughs> I mean, sweet and spicy can be fun. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna get this crazy, you're probably working in a bespoke bar at this point, right? You're you're working in a cocktail bar. You're you're a mixologist. You're not a bartender anymore. I, I mean, you've you're wearing a bow tie and have a handlebar mustache. Uh, so, uh, I I don't think I could justify having this in my my bar equipment, but Hey, if that's your journey and you, you want to try something like this, th- there's some really crazy, awesome things that you can do with it. So, um, there are food safety rules that apply to negative, uh, negative pressure vessels. So make sure you, you understand what you're doing, maybe pick up a book or two. Um, but yeah, that that's, uh, that's infusing in four ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, you know, when it comes to you know G forces, positive G's you could take for a little fun. Negative G's can kill you pretty quick. Uh, probably the same thing with pressure. You know, let's uh, let's leave that to the professionals. But and why wouldn't you want to play with nitrous oxide? I mean, speaking as a former drag racer, nitrous is just fun.
0: It, I I yes, it is. <laughs> so, um,
1: but no, those, those are some good tips. Uh, and infusions can be fun. Uh, you know, and then there's Jameson
0: Orange, but Hey, <laughs> <laughs> eh? Eh? that's good. That was a good callback. We're trying. So, Hey, we're talking about cooking today. My favorite topic. Ugh. <laughs> Mark is a Grinch and doesn't enjoy cooking, uh, because he's terrible. Um, But it is one of my favorite things. We've kind of got a little smorgasbord here uh, full of things that you can do with uh, various gidgets and gadgets and recipes and um, all of that whatnot. Uh, So I I guess I'll kick us off by talking a little bit about uh, my non-credentials as they were. Um, So I... Started really cooking when I got out of college. I hadn't really done a lot of cooking before then. And uh, at the time that I graduated college at 22, um, I had never really boiled water before. Uh, Fair. the, The extent of what I had done was like Easy Mac, right? Things I could microwave. My parents generally did all the cooking growing up. Uh, so the first time I tried to cook a box of craft ma- mac and cheese in the stovetop, I didn't really know what I was doing, and so like I saw one bubble come up from the bottom of the water and dump the whole packet in and called it good. Uh, it was a very <laughs> crunchy meal of mac and cheese. Uh, so I got really interested in cooking. Uh, I've, I started off with some really simple recipes. I mean, who who can't whip up a stir fry in no time flat? Uh, and I, you know, I learned how to grill and I taught myself different kinds of cuisine. Uh, I went on a huge binge of learning how to cook Japanese, uh, style meals for a while. Um, I just, I love it. Uh, anywhere that Holly and I go on vacation, I'm always looking up, uh, for a chance to take a, a you know, a cooking class for a day. Um, you know, a, a, any chance I can get to. Uh, like cook with somebody and experiment a little bit. Um, I've been uh, I've been baking bread from scratch for a while. Uh, That that was kind of a passion project. So everybody else trying to bake bread during the the pandemic was somewhat of an annoyance for me. Hey, I made beer bread during the pandemic. Hey, beer bread counts. We accept all kinds of bread here.
1: And it actually was pretty good. It didn't really rise. I guess I didn't use enough beer, but it tasted pretty damn good.
0: It's pretty good. I did uh, have a failed bread experiment this week where I couldn't get the bread I was making to rise. So I just, instead of making two loaves, I made one and it came out. I mean, it tastes good, but it came out like a brick.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was pretty much my beer bread. It, It was just, it was more like beer crackers. Yeah. But they were really fucking good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the fun thing about baking, is that as long as you don't, like, swap sugar for salt, whatever comes out is probably edible, even if you fuck it up. Yeah. But what about you, Mark? I, 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 I'm hearing you grumble.
1: I mean, all right, you know, I'm, I'm like, two or three times the size of DJ, <laughs> fat, fat ass. I like food. Uh, I love food. I love to eat. You know, I grew up in a very Italian household. I hate to cook. Uh, it's just... It, it, it It's a lot of work. It's very time-consuming. It's very little... It's high-risk, low-reward. Uh, I was... Wasn't quite as bad as DJ, I guess you could say, when, when I got out of college. <laughs> Nobody
0: I mean, was quite as bad as this one.
1: I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't much better, but I was, you know, maybe a step or two ahead of you, but I did not to cook. It was, you know, it was what it was. I was living by myself. And so it was sink or swim, just, you know, start making stuff. And I think that's like the problem why i don't really like it because you know i learned by trial and error with everything i've ever done whether it be racing whether it be you know monkeying with stuff tinkering playing bass whatever just we're gonna do it and you know okay you screw up a computer you crash a car you do whatever those are fine but you know growing up in a super italian household the ultimate cardinal sin is wasting food (laughs) so you screw up a meal you got to throw everything away and then like the catholic guilt starts to creep in it's like one of the few things I still actually have any guilt about. It's weird. Mm. My, gra- my grandmother will never be dead, I guess. So, uh, and then, you know, you also go hungry because you fucked up your meal you were trying to cook. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, I did X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, slightly chauvinist when Annie started, and I started going out. I was like, well, you know, we're going to get engaged. We're going to do this. And I don't want to have to cook anymore, blah, blah, blah. No, she doesn't cook. <laughs> I mean, now, you know, 12 years later, she has a few things she can make. But she didn't cook. So I do 90-plus percent of the cooking in our house. And I think you do, too, right? Yes. I mean, Holly can cook, but I think you still you, – you do cook. Uh, and I still hate it. <laughs> I mean, I, I've gotten okay at a few things. I still cannot, for the life of me – when I'm making or attempting to make like a multi-course meal or different things, I can never get the timing right to have everything come out at the same time. Never. I fuck it up constantly, and I don't know why. Uh, But it is what it is. Uh, Now, you mentioned grilling before. I don't consider grilling cooking. Grilling is fun. (laughs) Grilling, you could do a lot with. I mean, that just sort of gets back in your, you know, your caveman instincts. You're playing with fire. You're just doing big slabs of meat. Uh, I love grilling. I'm pretty damn good at it. Probably the greatest honor my in-laws ever bestowed me was we uh, all my in-laws got together and they rented this huge house on the beach in some private fucking New Jersey community. You know you know. a couple of years ago, those pictures of Chris Christie being a fat ass sitting on the closed beaches? Mm-hmm. We had a house. We rented a house on that beach, wherever the fuck that was. And uh, my one brother in law spent like three or four hundred dollars on this pile of you know 21 day dry aged hand rubbed filet mignons, and they're like, You get to grill these. And I was like, That's right, I do <laughs> give them over here. So I don't, I, none of this, I mean, we're gonna talk about a George Foreman grill a little bit later, but none of this is like true grilling because grilling's fun, uh, cooking isn't. So that, that's that's my disclaimer.
0: <laughs> wow. Well, so where do we want to start? I mean, I could talk about this for ages, but maybe, maybe you share one of your gadgets, and I'll start in on one of my categories. Yeah,
1: um, basically, I don't like cooking over a stove because I'm not good at it, so I have adapted technology, <laughs> and I have a bunch of different things. Probably my favorite thing, because I'm white trash and I grew up in a white trash family, is I love a crock pot. <laughs> I love the idea of you can just put something on low heat and cook the fuck out of it for 14 hours. <laughs> and then, you know, basically put something on, leave, come home and from work, and it's done. Uh, I make mean porchetta sandwiches. It, it, you pretty much, you can't screw that up. You get your pork roast, you put your spices on it, uh, you put it in the crock pot, you put half a cup of water in it, you fucking walk away. Eight hours. Eight to nine hours in the crock pot, you walk the fuck away. Uh, Wimpy's in a crock pot are pretty good. I mean there's nothing wrong with wimpies over a stove or anything, but if you're having like a, say a Super Bowl party or graduation party or something and you need to feed a lot of fucking people. A big ass uh, crock pot of wimpies is pretty good. you just you make your sauce, you get however many fucking pounds of hamburger. same thing. low heat just all fucking day. And then one of the things Annie can make and she makes it far better than I is she makes a homemade mac and cheese. It's five or six cheeses, and it uses a cheddar cheese soup as the, like, base for it. And basically this stuff is, it's pretty much like your drywall mud when it comes out. Mm -hmm. But it's delicious. Uh, And she usually, she actually cooks it twice. She'll make it all and leave it in the crock pot for, like, three or four hours the night before. And then for whatever event that she's making it for, she'll usually run it for another four or five hours that day. And that way, like, the top gets a little burnt and everything. Oh, it's fucking heavenly. So, crockpot are great. They're not expensive at all. Like, a fucking top-of-the-line one is still under $100. And you pretty much can't screw it up. Like, the only way you could screw up something in a Crock-Pot is taking it out too early. Like, just put everything in, turn it on, walk away.
0: It's true. What about you? All right, well... I thought I would just cover all of my weird gadgets first. Okay. And then I could get into my, my other categories here. So uh, over the years, um, I uh, basically, my I, I have a religious devotion to Elton Brown as a celebrity chef. Um, you do? Yeah, I do. Uh, so he, he's one of my favorite chefs. I really love watching Good Eats. I've got all fourteen seasons of it. I watch it whenever I'm like I've got downtime or I want to get inspired, uh, because uh, unlike normal cooking shows, uh, Elton Brown cooks with science. So he explains the the chemical uh, it, it processes going on when he's cooking food. He explains like why baking powder versus baking soda. He explains. Like one of my favorite episodes is, uh, I think it's three cookies for Mary or sister Mary or something like that. And it's um, he makes a chocolate chip cookie in three different ways. He makes it flat. He makes it fluffy and he makes it chewy. And he explains uh, like how to balance like, okay, you remove an egg white here and you add baking powder there and use bread flour for this and you get this cookie. And it's very much like, learning cocktails, right? Like a margarita and a daiquiri are the same exact thing. You just swap out some ingredients. Uh, So I, I, I love, I love reading his cookbooks. I love watching his stuff and his primary rule as, uh, in terms of buying things for your kitchen is nothing in your kitchen should be what he calls a unitasker. Uh, so you shouldn't buy or own anything that only serves a single purpose. Uh, and he said, early on in Good Eats, he said the only unitasker you should have in your kitchen is a a, uh, fire extinguisher. And later, in a stage show, uh, he showed how you can make ice cream with a uh, fire extinguisher, so it's no longer a unitasker. Ew. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't do it, but you could. Uh, Anywho, uh, so I've got some really strange gadgets and i justified buying them because i did find multiple uses for them so my first is my broad taylor uh proofing box and it's ostensibly both a slow cooker uh and a, uh, a a rising box for bread uh and you can also use it to make yogurt cultures which is really interesting Uh, So I use that all the time. Uh, I use it to rise my bread because I live in New England and there is no time of the year that seems to be right for rising bread on my counter. So I just use my proofing box. Uh, And we'll talk later about the black garlic experiment. Uh, The second uh, fun gadget I have is a rice cooker. Uh, This is, you know, a shout-out to my friend Dan who... Uh, I'm not sure he even listens to the show, but uh, he uh, taught me a lot about Japanese cooking. And so I, my wife and I own a rice cooker because, you know, she went to Japan and she's like, you know, we could have a rice cooker. I, I like having, you know, an easy way to cook rice. And initially I thought it was a unitasker until I realized, hey, Mark, you can make a pancake in a rice cooker. Do you know this? You can make a cake. You could just go to the store and buy pancakes. You could, but the pancake you you can make in a rice cooker is like six inches thick, and you can slice it, and it's delicious.
1: Why why would you want
0: that big of a pancake? It's a cake. It's so good. (laughs) Make a little maple frosting. It's amazing. Anywho, uh, my third fun kitchen gadget I hinted at earlier, it's the sous vide. Uh, you know, I use it to make liquor infusions all the time, but I, always, I also use it to make some crazy good tender meat. Uh, you, you can cook some really great stuff in a water bath, so I highly recommend it. Uh, the last ki- kitchen gadget I own is actually kind of a series of gadgets, and it's all of my canning supplies. Uh, so I do about once a year go through and I make some jams and some pickles and some stuff like that. Uh, and it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I got some strawberries in the freezer that I, I want to thaw and make some jam out of. Uh, and then I, I can it all because I have a giant pot with temperature control on it and I've got all the canning supplies. Uh, and those are all super useful and, and fun to deal with. So uh, highly recommend it if you're ever curious.
1: My mother used to can all the time. She's got a big-ass fucking pressure cooker. I wonder nice. where that ended up. It's probably at home somewhere. I don't have any of those things that DJ just mentioned, which is weird that I don't... It's actually kind of weird that I don't have a rice cooker because I make rice a lot. And
0: I feel like you should probably have a rice cooker, man.
1: Um, but I'm, like, lazy, so I just go to the store and buy, like, the rice that's in the bags, and you just throw them in the boiling water. Oh, my
0: God. It's the worst...
1: Um well it's good if you lay meat over the top of it. You use it as a bed and then you put the meat on top. We'll talk about that when we get to pork chops hmm uh but i uh, I'll tell you what if you have my my next gadget and the one that I've been obsessed with lately is uh i'm going to be that guy uh but I have an air fryer, and I love it
0: i don't have an air fryer.
1: whoever invented these if they're not like a bajillionaire there's something wrong <laughs> uh. I had a deep – well, I still have it, uh, but I had a deep fryer long before I had an air fryer. And I liked the deep fryer, but it was everything I hated about cooking. It was a lot of prep work. It was a huge cleanup. Everything stunk. Um, You burn the shit out of yourself just doing the littlest things. And, I mean, the stuff was good, but it was just like, this isn't worth it. And, you know – Annie's, like, an athlete and takes care of her body, so she wouldn't eat half the stuff, and I'm just, you know, a dumpster fire, so I would. And then they came out with the air fryer, and holy fuck. It's basically all the fun of a deep fryer, but it doesn't use oil, it just uses what sounds like a miniature jet engine (laughs) to get really fucking hot and fry the shit with air. So, a few fun things you could do with an air fryer. the uh, Hot ham and cheese sandwiches are really good. You know, get some good ham, get your favorite cheese, get some nice bread, put it all together, throw it in there just for a few minutes, you know, 380 degrees, 390 degrees, whatever. Pop it out. It's ready to fucking go. Good and crispy, good and gooey. Mm. Chicken wings. Um, you know, of course, now the only people that can afford chicken wings are buying the $45,000 bottle of bourbon that we talked about before. But in the before time when wings were available, uh, you make your own dry rub, you roll them around, uh, you roll the rings around in there, you throw them in there. It was stupid quick. It was like four and a half minutes for a dozen fucking wings. And they would be good and crispy. They wouldn't be rubbery at all. And you'd have some nice wings. Uh, BLTs, you know, they. people online tell you not to make bacon in an air fryer because there's like no place for the oil to degrease to drain. But if most air fryers are small enough. You can only do four or five pieces at a time. Anyway, you throw the bacon in, you cook it to fucking perfection. You dump the oil out, you lather, rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like anything else. If you keep an eye on it, it's not going to be dangerous. And the bacon for BLTs, like, I mean, bacon was one of the few things I could cook even before I was living on my own. Like from years of racing, you know, I had to learn how to make breakfast for the crew I, never in twenty some years of making bacon have I ever come close to getting it as perfect as it does in the air fryer. And you don't do a fucking thing; you press a button. And then if you're white trash like me, fried bologna sandwiches. I love fried bologna. Uh, don't I? I haven't really played with putting the bread in the air fryer, not like the hot ham and cheese, because the the bologna's greasier. The bread soaks up some of the grease. But you put the bologna in, you let it get a little crispy, you let it fold up, you know, uh, curl like a piece of pepperoni. Throw it on your sandwich. Mm. Uh, so yeah, buy an air fryer And that's just like, you know, some of the meal things I mean, I know there's a lot of desserts and shit you could do there. You could actually kind of bake with it if you know what you're doing I don't, I don't play around with any of that But air fryers are fucking fantastic They're a little bit more money Like some of the good ones are like $200, 300 uh, Some of the smaller, cheaper ones are, you know, around 100 But they're fucking worth it, man
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe someday Not today
1: they are big, like it does take up a lot of room on your counter, I will say that, but we use ours enough that we don't mind.
0: Yeah, fair. All right, my second section here is weird food experiments that I've done. All right. So the first one I am probably already talked about, but it was the cherry liqueur that I left uh, sitting on a windowsill for 40 days. Do you remember this?
1: I do remember this. Yeah.
0: Uh, so that was really cool to watch. I don't really understand the the science behind it. It's kind of an Eastern European recipe. It didn't come out very good, but I think that was mostly my fault. Um, but basically, you pack a ton of cherries and a ton of sugar in a quart size mason jar. And then you just put it on a windowsill and you look at it. And you wait. And if over time you watch the juices from the cherries get leached out by the sugar and the sugar just very slowly completely dissolves. And I'm sure there's some fermentation stuff happening in there. Probably not a ton, but some enough. Um, And then at the end of it, you put in some, some liquor and then you've got, you know, cherry, cherry cordial basically uh but it does it did come out tasting a bit like robutussin so uh i don't i don't 100% recommend that approach but hey you can get a pretty interesting uh syrup out of it and i i kind of want to do it with something that isn't cherries and see how it comes out like maybe pineapple or something silly like that uh i did at one point make a clarified milk punch
1: you did. I remember being horrified by
0: this. Yeah. Uh, th- this was vaguely terrifying. Uh, but I will, I've got a couple of different recipes for it. Uh, I want to try a new one w- that is, uh, it uses pineapple juice and lemons and cinna- cinnamon and cognac and rum and Eric and a whole bunch of cra- like boiling water, all sorts of crazy shit. And then a quarter of milk. Um, so, uh, it- it's it's interesting. There's some really cool shit you can do um, with a Clarified Milk Punch. Uh, and I used it to make a strawberry milk liqueur, uh, which was actually weirdly, stupidly good. Uh, so don't knock it till you try it. The fourth food experiment I did was making black garlic. And I love black garlic. And I probably have talked about this on the show before. Uh, but basically to make black garlic, uh, well, I use my bread proofing box because, uh, I can. And, uh, I put a big pot in my bread proofing box and I wrapped seven garlic bulbs each. Uh, each of them was wrapped in, um, plastic wrap and then two layers of tin foil. And then I dropped them into the pot and I waited like a month and a half or two three months or something crazy like that. It was insane. Uh, The whole hell smelled of garlic for a while. Um, But after a while, it started to smell kind of sweet. And then I pulled it all out. Every single garlic bulb had turned jet black and was super squishy and spreadable. I used it to make a compound butter for steak. It was amazing. Uh, So I highly recommend black garlic. Uh, You can also just pick it up from the store. But I was really curious and wanted to make it. So I did.
1: And I mean, that's half the fun, you know, of this when, well, I mean, that's what you tell me. I don't think it's fun, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) the, the last one is probably my favorite experiment. And I will, I will make these until I die. They're amazing. Uh, And it's pickled blueberries. Yeah. No, they're amazing. So you pickle them with cinnamon, cloves, and allspice. And then uh, you uh, basically boil blueberries for a short amount of time in red wine vinegar. And then you just let them chill for 8 to 12 hours together. Uh, And then you take out the spices uh, and you reserve the liquid and you put the berries in canning jars. And then you take the liquid that's left in your pan and you combine it with a cup each of white sugar and brown sugar... Boil it until all the sugar uh, is uh, melted and the liquid is thickened. And then you cover the berries in the liquid and you water bath can them. And then you have pickled blueberries and they're amazing. They're so tasty. Uh, They're really great for charcuterie and uh, they go super, super well with goat cheese. Get a big slice of bread, spread some goat cheese on it, top it with pickled blueberries it's like my favorite weird food experiment. I've made it like four times. It's so good.
1: I just, I don't know. I mean, I would try them, but I just, I, I love pickles and pickled things, and I love blueberries. I just don't know if I would like pickled blueberries. Would
0: it, would, would you like it more if I called them mold blueberries?
1: Probably. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not saying I wouldn't try it, and I'm not saying I definitely wouldn't like it. It's just, it seems so fucking weird.
0: <laughs> it is. It's extremely strange. All right, wh- what you got next?
1: Well, next we're going to talk about my absolute favorite gadget, which is also the oldest. Well, I don't know. Crockpots are probably older. Uh, but And again, it's white trash, but it's so fucking fantastic.
0: It's the George Foreman Grill. I have one of these, too.
1: Um, do you know Hulk Hogan claims it was supposed to be named after him?
0: The, the, the Hogan grill?
1: Yeah, uh, it's probably another one of Hulk Hogan's just absolute bullshit lies that he likes to tell, but he claims him and Foreman had the same agent and the company had the grill and they had the, uh, had a blender. And uh, I guess they called him first and said, what do you want? And he wasn't home or he didn't call him back. Or I forget what the bullshit story is. And by the time he called them back and said, oh, yeah, I'll take the grill. They said, oh, no, we gave it to George Foreman. You could have the blender.
0: Yeah.
1: And there was very briefly a whole Kogan blender that sold like four of them. They, they pop up on eBay from time to time. Uh, but regardless, George Foreman Grill is fantastic because, as I said, I love to grill I, um, and, you know, live in a Pennsylvania or living in a New Hampshire, or wherever the hell you are. If there's winter, you can't really grill no. for big chunks out of the year. But George Foreman Grill lets you make stuff uh, inside. So some of my favorite uh, George Foreman Grill recipes. I love doing beer brats, bratwurst.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: get your favorite type of beer. I mean... Usually, like, a normal beer works best. I mean, none of these fucking fancy-ass fruity IPAs and, you know, hipster douchebag beers. Uh, But if you have, like, a normal beer, German beer, whatever, soak the brats overnight, pull them out, throw them on the the foreman fucking hotter than get all, let them cook. The gimmick with beer brats that I found is don't puncture them. Use tongs, use whatever, don't stab them with a fork, keep everything in. And actually, it's kind of fun if you do it right. uh, If they're done and they get hot enough, the casing will actually pop uh, just a little bit. And if you have them soaked in beer for long enough, you'll get a fucking geyser like Old Yeller. (laughs) It's kind of fucking fun.
0: Yeah, but also dangerous and very high temperature. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, hey, you got to be ready for this shit. I mean, cooking's dangerous.
0: It doesn't so, have to be, Mark.
1: I mean, what's the fun in that, though? Uh, the uh, other thing I would love to make, I just made these a couple days ago for Eddie and I. I love to do pork chops on the George Foreman. Now, the problem with the George Foreman, if you don't have one at home, is it's a clamshell. Mm-hmm. and that works really well in that you don't have to flip anything usually, although I, some, a lot of times I rotate things, bratwurst, hot dogs, different things I like to rotate, but you don't have to. But the problem with that is if you have something really thick, it won't close properly. But uh, you know, pretty much any grocery store worth its salt, any butcher shop, any meat market, you can get thin-cut pork chops.
0: Mm.
1: So you get the thin-cut pork chops, you... Uh, Put the marinade of your choice on them. The store across the street from me sells a wicked Hawaiian marinade. And uh, it's like, base is like pineapple juice. It's like the number two ingredient. Like I think number one on the bottle is water and number two is pineapple juice. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: You get your favorite marinade, you make your own, soak them for a while, do them on the George Foreman. And I mean, it's pork, so you can't really fuck around. You pretty much have to cook the shit out of them. I mean, pork has two modes, well done or botulism. There's really nothing in between. Uh, So true. I I love my meat medium, man, but pork, you can't do it. Uh, So you bake your pork chops with your favorite marinade, and then I put them, especially with the Hawaiian marinade, I put them over a bed of white rice, like we were talking about. It's like eating at a fucking luau. And, I mean, I'm not that great of a cook. I think it's really fucking good. Uh, The last thing is actually something my father-in-law, who is the grand poobah of cooking like he had to have been a professional chef in a previous life he got me hooked on these uh some more fancy meat markets some mail order things like omaha steaks and a few other places they will sell you big fat half pound burgers that are actually made out of delmonico steak Mm -hmm. and I'm pretty hooked on these. You do these on the George Foreman, you get them medium, you get them good and juicy and dripping. And while you're doing that on your stove, you saute in a pan with a little bit of olive oil some sliced mushrooms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you put a little Swiss cheese on there, you put your mushrooms on there, you get a nice bun, and you eat it. And you take approximately 17 years off your life for every burger you eat.
0: It's so they true. are so fucking good, <laughs> they're delicious. <laughs>
1: And those are three things that, again, literally anyone can make.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's George Foreman. Go buy a George Foreman. They are dirt fucking cheap now. I don't even think they're 50 bucks now.
0: No, you can get them super cheap. And they have one temperature. Scalding.
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, I do have the one that's adjustable, but I always have it on screen. I've never turned it down.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: All right, what's next for
0: you? All right, I just have a giant section with some recipes that I use uh, just to kind of talk about the things that I like cooking. So uh, week week to week, uh, my wife and I get a HelloFresh box every week. Uh, they're not sponsoring us, but uh, w- we've done a couple of different meal services. That's the one we're using right now, um, mostly because I hate going to the grocery store. Uh, I just... There's a lot of people, and it's sensory overload, so I I like getting three meals a week handled in a box. Um, But I I do have a lot of recipes that I like just just cooking, just cooking, because they're a lot of fun. Uh, My first real recipe that I figured out how to cook, and the one I've been cooking the longest, is beef stew. And I make fucking mean beef stew. And frankly, I make an amazing steak. And the worst part about this is my wife does not eat red meat. So if I make these things, it is for me and me alone. Yeah,
1: it's like uh, when I make mushrooms.
0: Yeah, um, but so, you know, beef stew, I, I, I honestly can't tell you how I make it anymore because I just start throwing shit into the pan. Uh, you know, I usually, I brown my meat. It's usually just the, the nastiest shit you can get, like stew meat, chuck meat, something like that. Um, I brown it take it out of the pan, leave the juices in, throw a little bit of olive oil and butter in, throw in my aromatics. Um, I always do mushrooms. I always do onions and celery and carrots and shit like that. Um, sometimes I'll bouge it up a little bit and I'll, I'll throw some leeks instead. Uh, and then once that's simmered down a bit, uh, I, uh, throw a little bit of flour in there, return the meat to the pan, Uh, you know, get everything kind of conglomerated and, and, and all, all, um, like gooey. And then I deglaze the pan with some red wine. I throw in the beef stock. I throw in potatoes and some larger carrots. Um, and you know, whatever the fuck I want to that day, uh, you know, I've done beef stew over rice. I've done, I've done beans. I very even, I, I did beans like twice and I was like, eh. I, I wish this were chili. So I don't do beans very often. Um, you know, I have my own spice blend and it's usually just like, I don't know, measure this, measure that. No, I don't measure anything for beef stew. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of let it chill until the 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 meat falls apart and the potatoes are done and uh, then I eat it. Uh, usually with some, some nice crusty bread or something like that. Love me some beef stew. Uh, as for steaks... Everybody has a philosophy about steaks. Um, Mark and I could probably do an entire fucking episode on steaks. Easily. Yeah, I um, I cook myself maybe two or three steaks a year. It's not it's not very much, just because nobody else in the house eats steak, um, and I don't really have a I I can't justify eating all that much steak, so. Um, generally what I'll do is, uh, you know, over the summer I'll do tips on the grill, uh, and I'll marinate those and throw them on the grill. Those are great. Uh, you know, who doesn't love a steak tip? Uh, but if I'm going to make one in the house, I generally do a New York strip. I don't usually do bone in. I know a lot of people like bone in. I I don't, I don't give a shit. Um, so I'll usually do a, a New York strip or something like that, um, And I'll get my my pan, like, blazing hot. Oil and butter in the pan. I'll throw in smashed garlic and usually some rosemary and some thyme. Um, And that's kind of the state of the cooking. Before I do any of this, I will generally, like, cold uh, season the steak for four to six hours. Um, you know, either I'll do salt and pepper, both sides and throw it open on a plate into the fridge, or I'll like do a barbecue rub. I recently did it with a barbecue rub. It was pretty fucking tasty. Um, and I make my own barbecue rub with brown sugar and a bunch of fucking spices that I, I can't list off. It, it I know them when I see them. Uh, and then I'll just, once it's, it's done, uh, you know, co- cold seasoning, I'll throw it into, into that super hot pan with the garlic and the thyme and the, uh, the rosemary. Uh, and I generally do three minutes on one side, two minutes on the other. Uh, and when I flip it for that, uh, to get the second side, I'll baste it um, for like uh, a full minute. And then I rest it on a cutting board and I use whatever is left in the pan to do like onions and peppers and mushrooms, uh, you know, wh- whatever the hell else I want. Um, and I'll generally just have a steak with some, some of those, uh, those veggies and I'll, I don't really do much else. Like if I treat myself to a steak, I usually don't want much more of a side than, than, you know, what I used in the pan. So that's what I do for a steak. Do you have a steak philosophy?
1: Yeah. And it sure as hell doesn't
0: involve a pan.
1: <laughs> um, steaks are done on the grill. <laughs>
0: Steaks are, done. Ste- steaks are done in my <laughs> cast iron skillet. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, you're one of those people. Um, no, I, I I do steaks on the grill. A uh, little, little pepper, a little butter, and that's about it. Uh, the, the one part I will agree with you on is, yeah, the New York strip is the cut of choice. Yeah. Uh, I do... Uh, depending on, you know, where we are, like if we go out somewhere, cause again, I'm the same way. I don't make a lot of steaks at home. Annie will eat steak, but it's, if you told her to pick 50 things she would like for dinner, it's probably going to come in at like number 42 yeah. on the list. Fair. Uh, but like if we go out somewhere, depending on what they have done to it, I do like a ribeye with the bone in. But uh, all things being equal, if I'm picking, if I'm buying, I buy a New York strip. Uh, they're just that's the best cut, and you know it just it just is. <laughs> like I don't I don't care what anybody says. I rather it than fillet. If a New York strip is done properly, it's better than fillet.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I do really like. Um, I mean, sometimes I will throw it into like a, a steak wrap or something like that. And I. I I like this method of the pan sear, and because it always comes out medium every time I do it, I've got some pink in there. Uh, you know the the center pe- the center cut is always going to be a little red, but it's delicious. Uh, it's like my favorite way of doing it. And i I used to like I used to do crazy things with stick. I used to try the George Foreman grill. I used to like sear it and then like cover it in foil with a bunch of butter and put it in, in the oven to finish. And I used, I used to try to like do super bougie shit. Honestly, like at, at the point that I've taken it out of the fridge after dry, uh, after uh, cold seasoning it, I, it's like five minutes until it's on the cutting board again.
1: Yeah. I don't do anything wild. I don't even really cold season it. Um, I'll put a little bit of butter on it while it's on the grill, hit it with some pepper on both sides. And, I mean, that's about it. You get it medium, you get it good in pink, take it off. I've been told, you know, some people argue with me uh, that what I like is actually medium rare. It isn't because it's, it's red, but it's not bleeding. It's not bloody. Mm-hmm. Um, the blood is where you get into the rare and the medium rare and everything. I basically wait till it stops bleeding, then I pull it off.
0: Yeah, mine's just solidly medium. Honestly, it's the three and the two, or like I, I know some people do it two and two, but I, I don't. I, I do it three and two, and that always comes out perfect for me. Oh,
1: my my old man's buddy Danny. He literally puts it on, turns it over, takes it off.
0: Oh Jesus, no.
1: Like I, I don't even think it's on forty five seconds.
0: No, I can't do it. But anywho, all right. So that's like my my beef stuff. Uh, I want to talk about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving dinner. So I talked a lot about it, I think, in our Thanksgiving uh, episode. So I'll just briefly cover it here. Um, I'm a huge fan of brining bone-in turkey breasts. I've got my own brine recipe. Uh, And then I don't have to deal with the whole bird. Um, I, I I don't know who needs to hear this, but cooking an entire bird in the shape of a bird is like the least efficient way you can cook a turkey uh that's that's why it's pissing all of you off and you hate cooking for Thanksgiving. Stop doing it. Get turkey breasts. Um I I again I pick up stuff from Alton Brown here. Uh I and I make my w- w- how I call them Alton Brown's once a year potatoes because they have cream and like three sticks of butter and it's just fucking absurd because he's a southern chef. So I, I it's artery clogging and delicious and I only make them for Thanksgiving. Uh, I make my own uh, cornbread stuffing uh, with, you know, white wine and chicken stock and sausage and mushrooms. It's delicious. Uh, and then I make an apple pie and a pumpkin pie, and they're both amazing. So uh, it, for me, that is a lot of fun. I always try to throw a Friendsgiving every year. Maybe some one of these years I can get you up here for it, Mark.
1: I, I'm always down to eat another Thanksgiving dinner. It doesn't even have to be in November. I mean, just... Turkey and stuffing and potatoes is like one of my favorite meals. Like every now and then my mother will just call and be like, I have a turkey breast in the freezer. Do you and I want to come over and we'll have like a little Thanksgiving? It's like the middle of April. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I do.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, All right. Uh, I'm going to do two more recipes and then I'm going to cut over for you to do your last one. Okay. Okay. So uh, I've got uh, a recipe for a super easy pulled pork uh get this it's three fucking ingredients and a in cro- a crock pot so uh you i generally do a big double batch because i like having it for a while uh so i do two pork tenderloins you can also do this um with other kinds of pork but i find tenderloin is the easiest to uh to to rip up uh so i do two pork tenderloins and then your, your favorite soda, whatever it is, you can do it with Coke, you can do it with root beer, you can do it with Mountain Dew if you really wanted to. Uh, Dr.
1: I, Pepper, that's what I do it with.
0: Uh, I do it with, uh, there's a, uh, f- uh, a cane sugar soda company out of Maine called Maine Root, uh, and they do a blueberry soda, and it's very good, and it works extremely well for pulled pork. So I do Maine Root blueberry soda. Um, And then I put it on low for like eight hours uh, and then I dump out the blueberry liquid and I don't I I shred the pork. I dump it back in with sweet baby rays. And that's that. That is my barbecue pulled pork recipe. It's super easy and doesn't need any seasoning.
1: Yeah, no, pulled pork's another fun thing, because, again, you can't screw up crockpot foods.
0: No, unless you take them out too early.
1: Yeah. So, all right, my last gadget is, uh, well, I guess you, what did you say that was? Monotheistic? No. Unitasker? Yeah, this is definitely a unitasker, but I love it anyway. Uh, Annie and I have a panini maker, and how this came about was uh, we were getting married, and we were doing the registry and I don't remember what, I think it was Macy's or wherever the fuck it was. They had panini makers and I was like, oh, fuck it. We'll throw it on there. Nobody will actually get it for us. Well, guess what? <laughs> we got a panini make. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, they're like really fancy grilled sandwiches. Now, you don't have to do it the way I do it. I, I do the, you know, the hardcore Italian. I get the Soprasada and the lonza and the Capicola. Uh, basically, you know, Annie only has me make paninis maybe two or three times a year because, like, they will kill us, the ones I make.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: but you can make them with any type of deli meat you want, any type of cheese you want, any type of bread you want. Uh, there is a way to screw up paninis, though. The last step for a good panini... Do you know what the last step for a good panini is, DJ? No. You, you have your panini maker, which, again, is a big clamshell because it's actually a big clamp. It's a big vice.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: want to press the panini as flat as possible. And so you you place your sandwich, which is all made up. You 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 make it up on a cutting board, and then you place it on the scalding fucking hot vice that you have that is a panini maker. And just before you close the panini maker, right across the top, you run some olive oil. Yeah. If you don't have the olive oil, it will fucking suck. Yeah. You need that to get a good burn. Uh, And then basically you just hold the panini maker closed for as long as you, until basically it's as burned as you want it to be. Yeah. Um, burned to taste. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a unit tasker, but it's a great fucking unit tasker. And some of the small ones are pretty cheap too. So panini makers are fun.
0: Uh, I've definitely been known to just use the George Foreman grill to make a panini.
1: I, I did that before I had one. <laughs> 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 and you could do them in the air fryer too, although they don't get flat. They just get cooked.
0: It's true. Okay, so I've got uh, my last four are a blaze through uh, some of my favorite baked goods. So uh, I have a recipe for uh, honey white bread. Uh, and for whatever reason, I cannot make it with wheat flour. So it just the best way it comes out is with uh, w- white bread flour um but you it's really good it uses milk so it's kind of a milk bread it uses honey uh, i found a variant uh where i can make 10 grain honey white bread with uh bob's red mill um 10 grain cereal that's really fun uh but it's a tried and true recipe every time i make it i get two loaves of honey white bread it's delicious it's great for sandwich bread It's pretty easy to do as well, though. I'm definitely taxing my mixer at home with it. Uh, So I I definitely recommend uh, checking out some basic recipes. My honey uh, white bread loaf recipe is, I think it's like seven ingredients. Like, it's not that complicated at all. Uh, But it is a rising bread, so it does use yeast. Uh, My second uh, baked good recipe is I make my own pizza dough, which, again... Super, super easy to do. It's a yeasted dough. uh, And the recipe I found is is so good that they actually had a ton of notes after the recipe and said, hey, here's some different things you can do with this. And you can add like... Uh, you can infuse flavors into your pizza dough and you can use this kind of oil to help rise it and get a cool flavor thing. And here's how to make sure the that you don't get the, the dough gum underneath your cheese. And uh, it was fantastic. So uh, I highly recommend making your own pizza dough. And if you're going to try your own pizza, don't go crazy trying to buy like a backyard brick oven pizza thing. You don't need it. Just go on Amazon, drop like 40 bucks and buy a pizza stone. It's amazing.
1: My in-laws have one. It, it, it is pretty good.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, you just set that thing, set your oven rip in it like 450 or 425 and just let the stone absorb the heat well before uh, you put any pizza on it. and your the bottom of your crust comes out crispy. your pizzas is, it, it just gets cooked really well um my favorite like bougie pizza recipe is prosciutto and uh fig preserves um but I mean I I just make cheese pizzas mushroom pizzas pu- pepperoni pizzas I, I you know I've made barbecue chicken on it uh th- they're uh, unless it's like sardines <laughs> I uh, or anchovies I I'm pretty much game for any pizza topping
1: the fun thing about a whisk uh- I was going to say whiskey stone. Uh, the fun thing about a pizza stone, and like this is, you know, certainly not the way they're intended to be used, but they work. Is if you're like, say, my wife, and you are a heathen and don't believe in just like cold and or room temperature pizza, you can reheat your favorite like delivery place, and it tastes just like it did when you fucking got it.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Pizza stones are magic and I don't feel like we talk enough about pizza stones in our culture. So get a fucking pizza stone and just leave it in your oven. It's amazing. Uh, all right. Next one, uh, is another Alton Brown special. Can you tell that I love the guy? Um, and Mm -hmm. it's his overnight cinnamon buns recipe. It's overly complicated, but honestly, it's the best cinnamon buns I've ever made. And I've started experimenting with it a little bit more. Uh, I, I am doing like an orange spice variant on it now. So um, I add uh, just a tiny bit of clove into the uh, cinnamon and brown sugar mix and the inside of the cinnamon rolls, just that, like the tiniest bit. Like I, I the whole filling, I maybe do an eighth of a teaspoon because clove can overpower pretty quickly. Uh, and then I, uh, when I make the dough for the cinnamon rolls, I throw in, um, some orange zest and then I use some orange oil and orange zest in the glaze. So it just, it's, it adds that kind of punch it up a little bit. Um, I, I have also done like an orange lavender variant, which is really good. Um, but again, you got to be careful floral tastes. Uh, if, if, if you're if you're starting to to inch your hand towards rose water, I'm gonna slap it out of your hand. Uh, rose water is very overpowering. Be careful. Um, but yeah, overnight cinnamon rolls are amazing. Uh, and you literally you construct the cinnamon rolls the night before. You put them in the tray, you're gonna bake them. You put plastic wrap over it, and then you shove it in the fridge for like eight to twelve hours. Just let it like cold rise in the tray, and then you wake them up the next morning with some hot water before you turn on the oven, uh, and, and then you um, you preheat the oven, throw the cinnamon rolls in, make your glaze. It like the next morning is very easy. Uh, so I tend to make them. Um, you know, we we get home super late from Christmas Eve, and I will stay up late uh, and make them. The, for Christmas morning and that's usually a lot of fun uh, alright Mark, last thing, I've got three cookie recipes oh, you dear. have to tell me which one you think sounds the best alright so, uh, the first one is again, an Alton Brown special I go with his chewy recipe because they're chocolate chip cookies that are jam-packed with chocolate and uh, they stay chewy for like a week which I don't have any other recipe that really does that. So it's amazing. The second one is a ginger chocolate chip cookie uh, that uses ground ginger and uh, um, candied ginger in the recipe uh, and is super tasty. And the last one is a chewy maple walnut brown sugar cookie uh, where you end up drizzling like a maple glaze on the top of the cookies when they're done. All right. What do you think? Which one's your favorite?
1: I mean, I I like maple walnut, especially in donuts and pancakes. We were talking about pancakes before. But I'm a sucker for just a good chewy chocolate chip cookie.
0: Yeah, they're pretty damn tasty.
1: I mean, I spent $4 on one today. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah,
1: just because it was big and gooey and they're like oh we made them this morning I'm like give me one just fuck it I don't care
0: yeah fair but that's all I have for cook. I mean I, we'll do a part two right
1: I mean shit at the rate we're going this one's going to be too <laughs> <laughs> well
0: may- maybe in a future season we'll revisit this topic and we'll have somebody else on who likes cooking too to talk about it
1: have to sit my father-in-law down and he'll just go and go and go and go
0: right (laughs) but yeah take us out mark
1: that was cooking and whiskey uh i like the whiskey part uh thank you all for listening not just this week but every week uh you know uh, be sure to subscribe if your platform of choice allows you to you know get in the rss feed you will get notifications whenever we drop uh 8 a.m there or thereabouts every friday uh when one of us doesn't have the plague.
0: Uh, yes.
1: You know, if you're on iTunes or I think Spotify does it now, a few other places are letting you do ratings and rankings. Uh, you know, give us a, a good rating if you think we deserve it. Uh that helps us get up in the charts and uh get noticed. We're on every bloody freaking podcast platform. We're on like thirty some of them now and you know, including Samsung, Spotify, Apple Google, Listen Notes, Podbean, Stitcher, Caster, you name it. Uh, We have our website, we have our Facebook, we have our Instagram. We're at the Wit and Whiskey Cast on everything. Uh, No H in wit, but there is an E in whiskey. So, you know, make note of it. Uh, Big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for the intro and outro music. We love you, Nuno. Love you, buddy. We'll have the links up to all his various projects, his books, his SoundClouds, his all his different things. So uh, give him a look-see. He's, you know, the honorary third chair here at the W&W. Uh, speaking of the w what in the hell are we going
0: to do next week? Well, I was thinking, I'm not quite ready to do a full episode on baby stuff yet, but <laughs> what if we started decades in whiskey? Okay. What if we did the 90s? I can't I can't accurately say that I grew up in the 80s. I was 3 when 1990 came around.
1: I see I actually remember shit in 89, but all right, we could do the 90s.
0: But we yeah, we could start with the 90s. I mean, we could do a retrospective 80s and be like here's the things that we might like from the 80s and I'll probably name a lot of 90s things.
1: Music peaked in 1985,
0: fight me. <laughs> uh no, it I'll I'll fight you.
1: But yeah, no, we could do that. Let's do, uh, so next week it'll be, it'll be the nineties in whiskey. I love it.
0: Oh God, the Uh, nineties.
1: I'm going to get my Zubaz and my fanny pack and we're going to be good to go.
0: I'll get out my bleach tips and my backstreet boys.
1: Yeah. God, I forgot about the bleach tips.
0: (laughs) I did for a solid year wear an obnoxiously yellow, yellow vest and have slicked back hair. There are probably pictures of it somewhere.
1: I did for a couple of years when I had hair, I did the thing where you just spike the bangs.
0: Oh, yeah, I did. I feel like every guy in the 90s did that.
1: I didn't bleach my tips, though, but I did have the spiked bangs for a while.
0: Mm. Good times. All right, next week, 90s and whiskey.
1: Yeah, as as our brains break as we go down that nostalgia trip. That's going to be next week, 90s and whiskey. Jesus, for this week, I'm Mark Hercetti Jr., He's DJ Gagnon, and hey, until we see you later, folks, Salut.
0: Cheers.